I'd been thinking about a topic for the next time I preached for a while, um, and I got various ideas in my head. But when Piet asked me to preach on the 20th of August, I said to God, God, what is it that you want to speak to the people who will be in church on that Sunday? Not what's on my heart, not what's what I think is a good idea, but what do you want for those specific people? And immediately, this verse came into my mind. And I, if I am lifted up, will draw all people to myself. So that's what I want to speak about today. Jesus lifted up. I want to look at three different aspects. First of all, what happened when Jesus was lifted up on the cross. Second, what this means as we lift Jesus up in worship. And lastly, what this means as we lift Jesus up in the marketplace. Before I start talking about what this means, I want to ask Vivi to come up and read for us the full context of the verse, um, because it's important to know when and where Jesus said it. So this is John chapter 12. Vivi, do come up. John 12, 20 to 33. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now, the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Thank you, Vivi. Don't go too far away, because you've got another job. <laughs> um, when... Jesus talked about being lifted up here, but he'd spoken about it previously. 
So this is something that was obviously central in his mind. When he met with Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, he also there spoke about being lifted up. Um, I've asked Vivi to read two verses, but the verse after these is one that those of us in the church know extremely well. John chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, but these are the two verses that come before that. Vivi, would you like to come and read it for us? John 3, 14 to 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Moses lifting up a snake. What's that all about? It comes from Numbers 9, when the people of Israel were wandering in the desert between slavery in Egypt and the Promised Land. And during those 40 years, they grumbled. They grumbled a lot. Um, and most of their grumble was that God had brought them out of Egypt so that they could die in the desert. And they kept saying, you just brought us here to kill us. And God got so angry one time that he sent fiery serpents and, or snakes into the camp where the Israelites were, and they bit the people, and many of those who were bitten died. And this scared the people. And they went to Moses and said, I'm paraphrasing here, we've done something really stupid, help! So Moses goes, I don't know what to do. And he went to God and said, well, the people are asking for help, what should we do? So God told him, and Moses did what he was told. He made a bronze image of a serpent, of a snake, and put it on a pole, and he stuck the pole in the ground in the middle of the camp. And if any of the Israelites were bitten by a snake, they could all they had to do was look at that bronze snake and they would live. So um, it was quite simple. The bronze snake was the cure for their snake bites. But there was a kind of problem here because right from when Eve was deceived by the snake, the snake had stood for evil and deception. So God was asking the Israelites to turn and look at something that they thought meant evil and deception. And yet they had to do it if they wanted to be healed. They had to trust in God enough and believe what Moses told them so that when they were bitten, and I don't know about you, but if I'm bitten by something like a snake, I'm not going to go, oh, that's fine. I'm going to be panicked and in pain. And they had to remember in that place to turn and look at the bronze snake. And if they did that, they would live. Going back to Jesus when he was talking about being lifted up from the earth, he said that to show that he'd be crucified. This meant that he, like the snake, was lifted up on a pole and stood up in the middle of where people were, in the middle of the camp. Why did he need to do that? Why did Jesus need to die? Because God diagnosed that we had a disease. Every single one of us has a disease. And it's called sin 
and separation from God, our Heavenly Father. We sang earlier about um, our infirmity, that Jesus took up our infirmity. And infirmity is another word for disease or illness. And so Jesus did this because he wanted to provide us with a cure for a disease that every single human being has. So Jesus chose to take the path to the cross, to take up our infirmity. He, it wasn't forced on him. He chose. He allowed those in authority in Israel at the time, both the Jewish and the Roman authorities, to crucify him so that he could be the cure for our disease. And if we want to be cured of this disease and come into the family of God and to take away that separation, all we need to do is look to him, believing that he can heal us and accept his authority in our lives. There is a difference between us looking to Jesus and the Israelites looking at the snake, though. When the Israelites looked at the snake, they were healed for this life. But when we look to Jesus, we're healed for eternal life. There was another problem with Jesus being crucified. So we've got this idea of the snake. That's a bit icky. Um, but for the Jewish people who were listening to Jesus at the time, there was another problem. He was saying, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be lifted up on a pole to die. Um, in Deuteronomy 21, God tells the Israelites that anyone who is hung on a pole to die is cursed. So that was a real problem for the people who knew their, their scriptures. And if you were Jewish at the time, you knew your scriptures. So God, once again, creates a dilemma for people. He asked the Israelites to look at that snake. And now he asks us to look at someone who's cursed. And we get salvation from a curse. Paul helps us to understand this in Galatians 3.13, where he tells us that Jesus became a curse for us so that we could be saved from the curse of the law. That means we don't have to, to um, perfectly keep the whole law. Jesus knows it's impossible. There's none of us that can do it. And so he has lifted the curse off us by becoming a curse for us. So centuries ago in the desert, you had to believe enough to turn and look at the snake. And today, you have to believe enough. Not only believe in Jesus, but believe that we have a disease called sin and that we need to be cured. So what Jesus said true was it came true. He was lifted up on the wood of the cross and he drew people to himself. And he did it from the time that he was on the cross. When he was on the cross, he drew one of the other people being crucified with him to himself. How amazing is that? Not just afterwards, but while he's on the cross. And that, um, that thief became part of, went to paradise that day, became part of Jesus' kingdom. But Jesus draws people to himself. 
He doesn't draw people to religion or to regularly going to church or to a denomination or an organization, none of that. He draws them to himself to be part of his kingdom and his family. He drew the disciples to him. He drew the early church to him. And he continues to draw people from every nation and every age and every language and every tribe. And the glorious thing is we look around this church and we see some of the diversity of the people that Jesus calls to himself. And that's why we come. So we don't come to church because we have to come to church because that's part of our religion. We come to church to worship with our Jesus family. That's why we're here. Now, I know many of you have already been drawn to Jesus, but there may be some people here who, you know, you're beginning to face that way, but you're not quite there. If through what I've said today and what you've sung and what's happened this morning, you feel that Jesus is drawing you to him, we'd love to help. Come and speak to one of the leaders. Speak to the friends you came with, people that you know in the church. We long to see people drawn to Jesus and enter into eternal life. And this isn't about growing the numbers in this church. This is about growing the numbers in God's kingdom and in God's family. If you're still not sure, you're kind of beginning to make sense, but you don't really know who this Jesus person is. Um, he was written about in the Bible by people who knew him. Mark writes the most eyewitness account. Luke sets things out very systematically. He was a doctor, scientist, very systematic. John, who um, wrote the gospel that today's passage comes from, he takes a more theological, philosophical approach. And Matthew puts things into context of the Jewish scriptures and religious practices of the day. So there's, you can take different perspectives, but it's all the same story and it's all the same Jesus. And if you don't have a Bible, there's an app for that. <laughs> so let's move on now from what Jesus did on the cross to what this means as we lift Jesus up in worship. We continue the work that Jesus did on the cross when we lift him up in worship. I love when I come and preach because I have no idea what the person leading the worship has planned for, um, for the worship songs for that day. But usually... And today's no exception. Half the sermon, if not all the sermon, was in the songs. It is just so wonderful how God works that out. So thank you, Billy. Um, and I, I kept sitting down and putting that bit in and that bit in because I need to come back to it later. So the word used in the Bible for lifted up when Jesus was lifted up on the cross also means exalted, put into the highest place. And we can lift Jesus up or exalt him every day in worship. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, Paul says that after Jesus was lifted up, although the way he puts it is that after Jesus submitted to 
death on the cross, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. What is worship then? Worship is bowing our knee in front of the God of the universe. Worship is saying that he is Lord, he is King. It's, it may involve singing songs, but it doesn't have to. It may involve saying thank you to Jesus, but it doesn't have to. And there are times in our lives where it's really tough finding things to say thank you for. Um, when we're dealing with illness for ourselves, or sometimes even worse, when we're dealing with illness in a loved one, when we're going through marriage breakup, um, or trying to, to rescue a marriage that seems to be heading that way, when we're out of work and we see no, no job on the horizon and we don't know how we're going to provide for ourselves and our families, at those times it can be so hard to say thank you. But God doesn't change. We sang that earlier, God doesn't change. Or, sorry, no, it was Malachi. God doesn't change. He isn't the great I was. He is the great I am. And we can use words from the Bible, songs, whatever, to, um, to worship God, to lift him up. I love some of the words from Revelation. Um, it's not an easy book to understand, and there's a lot of discussion about what it all means, but there are some powerful pictures in there of what heaven is like, and it gives us a more physical image of some of the spiritual realities. One of the phrases there expresses a fantastic truth about Jesus, who was and is and is to come, that sense of a just forever and that is Jesus. We read that Jesus is both power, he's called the Lion of Judah, and sacrifice, the Lamb who was slain. He has authority over the names of people who have eternal life. But we also know from other parts of the Bible that he's more intimate than that. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He's the good shepherd. He's a good, good father. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a prince of peace. So worshipping like this has power both in our own lives and in the spiritual realm. When we declare who God is, our hearts listen. But so also do the enemies of God. And they know who God is. So as we declare the truth, we put ourselves under Jesus' authority, not under the authority of the enemy. And it's only this power that enables us to lift Jesus' name in the marketplace. And it isn't enough to worship just on a Sunday. But it, that is important, but it isn't enough. We need this reminder and this power every day. Uh, we sang earlier about um, uh, being consumed from the inside out. We don't 
go out and tell people about Jesus so that we can come closer to him. We come closer to him. We lift him up, changing us from the inside out so that we can then speak about Jesus. So the last part of my sermon is what it means as we lift Jesus up in the marketplace. So we continue the work of Jesus on the cross when we lift his name up in the places where we live our lives. Now this is the scary bit where I tell you that you have to go out and preach to your neighbours and your colleagues and convert them and bring them to church next week. <laughs> nah. Not really. I don't know about you, but I've spent a lot of time feeling really guilty because I find it hard to share my faith with my colleagues, to tell them, to find opportunities to tell them all the gospel. And, but I, I think that's part of the enemy's plan, to keep us feeling guilty so we don't do anything. And that's not God's plan. God's plan is for us to be effective just as we can. So, in the way you live your life, can you reflect who Jesus is? Can you reflect the kind of way he would interact with people? Can you tell your friends, family, colleagues, neighbors that you go to church? Can you tell them that you read your Bible regularly? Can you tell them that you pray to Jesus? Or maybe offer to pray for them when they're in trouble? And can you give an answer when they ask you why? That's, it's as simple as that, giving an answer when you've had the opportunity to, um, to bring, bring Jesus and church into the picture. This is how we lift Jesus up. And Jesus didn't go in, go out and drag people to him, bashing them over the head with a scroll. He drew them. He was the kind of person who people wanted to be around. He didn't compromise his message if people found it hard, but he drew them. There was something about him, and he continues to draw people. And it's our job just to lift his name up so that he can do the rest. This is, we sang earlier about the anthem of the Lord's renown. This is what we mean, just talking about what Jesus has done, just even mentioning his name so that his name will be known more widely. In earlier this summer, my team at work had uh, a retreat just outside Geneva. And people came from all over the world to a small conference center uh, near to where my boss lives. Now, I work for a pharmaceutical company, and we were 13 doctors and scientists um, from all over the world. And the conference center belongs to the World Council of Churches. Uh, it's a beautiful place, it was very convenient, it was within budget, everything was great. Um, but, and my boss introducing the place to us sort of said it's the World Council of Churches. Um, and then he and some others asked me in the coffee break, well, what churches are part of the World Council of Churches? Are the Mormons, are the Christian scientists? And I didn't say anything about those churches, but I said that all of the churches that were part of the World Council believe 
that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died, and that he rose again. I didn't say anything else. I left it at that. I have no idea how God will use that. But it's looking for those kind of opportunities as they arrive. And, and God, God takes things sometimes years after we've said them and brings them to people's minds and takes them on and uses that to draw them to himself. And God may give you more and deeper opportunities to share with people around you, particularly as you start lifting his name up in worship daily. But don't miss the little opportunities because you think they're not significant. We have no idea what will happen and what will be significant in the future, even when it doesn't look like anything much right now. As I close, can I ask the music group to come back up? And um, if everybody can stand. As I close, I want to ask three questions. The first question, if you haven't yet turned to Jesus to heal you for eternal life, Will you do so today? If Jesus has already drawn you to himself, will you commit to lifting his name up in worship every day, no matter how hard that might be? And will you commit to looking for opportunities to lift him up in the marketplace, however large or small those opportunities are? If you answered yes to any one of those questions, and I don't need to know which one, raise your hand as a sign of your commitment. Thank you. I'll pray for us and then hand over to the group. Lord Jesus, thank you that you draw us to yourself. You draw us daily to worship you to love you, to honor you, and you meet with us as we come to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you chose the difficult path of the cross, that we might have life, life in its fullness, life for eternity. Lord Jesus, speak into the hearts of each one here today, for those who are meeting you for the first time, for those who've known you for decades, Lord, each one of us, we want to commit our lives once more to you today to lift you up in every way that we can. In Jesus' name, amen.